0: Good morning, gang. This is technically take four because last Friday I tried to bring a devotion to you and it didn't work after three tries. The internet was terribly inhospitable, Uh, but this week before I came in, I gave the internet a good talking to and as a result, it looks like we're back up and running today. Uh, So that we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians each and every Friday here. Um, It's sort of, it's not quite mirroring, but uh, it is um, coinciding with the uh, series that we're going over in the weekly podcast that uh, I host, 30 Minutes in the New Testament, alongside Dan Emery Price. Uh, We're about up to 1 Corinthians 10 there, I believe. Uh, But uh, today we're in chapter 4. Now, if you remember... From the very beginning, uh, Paul is doing two things at once, which I think uh, effective ministers do, whether they be pastors or really any kind of leader within the church. Uh, On the one hand, he is affirming that the Corinthian church is sanctified by God, set apart, saved, justified. They are saints. They are his children. They are his people. And he does this over and over and over again throughout the letter while at the same time not walking away or ignoring the errors that they are prone to falling into. And let's just be honest, I mean, sometimes, many times, the errors that we're prone to falling into, sometimes we're happily diving into. It's one of the problems I've had with the terminology that is used in theology to describe mankind's uh, First, delving into sin in uh, the Garden of Eden, it's called traditionally the fall. And when I read the story, I'm like, they, they didn't like stumble into sin. It wasn't like, ooh, well, what happened? No, they purposely like dove in and swam. I mean, and uh, too often that's the case for us, and that was certainly the case with the Corinthian church, as they are dealing with a number of sin issues. And the first sin issue that he confronts the church about is their division. There is people stirring the pot in the church trying to well basically create a breach between paul and apollos and peter and they're getting camps alongside of them you know one is saying like oh i'm from the original i'm the og apostle crowd i'm with peter uh you know because peter's the og he's like the main guy and then there's people saying well apollos is a way better preacher and then i'm sure there's people saying that paul is really, the great theologian and the philosopher-scholar of the bunch. And and anyway, Paul is really frustrated by this, and so he spends a few chapters um, just dealing with this problem and dealing with the people that would stir up this division. Uh, It is unfortunate. I mean, churches do divide still today, uh, and they do divide, yes, over doctrine, but unfortunately, I think in our time, especially during an election year, we are too prone to dividing over uh, lesser things. And yes, I say lesser things. Uh, lesser things like politics and, um, you know, cultural issues and that sort of thing. Um, Well, you know, this kind of division is happening in the Corinthian church as well over all sorts of things that they need not divide over. So with that, by way of introduction, Paul begins talking about how they should view each of the apostles, each of the people that have come to serve them in the church. And he begins saying, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So there's two ways of seeing, you know, an apostle uh, in modern day as your uh, your pastor, uh, somebody who God has called into leadership over you in the church could be elders, um, and that is one uh, as servants of Christ, uh, people that are ultimately there. Uh, well, at the same time. Uh, being stewards of what God's word says, stewards of the mysteries of God. That's really what we're doing. We're not owners of the mysteries of God. We're not the, we're not in charge of the mysteries of God. We are the ones who simply proclaim the mysteries of God to you. And so we're vessels. I mean, pastors and apostles and whatever, we're vessels. He goes on verse two, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul's point here is, you guys are making judgments about me and my ministry based on what some other people are saying about me and my ministry. You're making judgments about Apollos. You're making judgments about Peter. And listen, this is not your role. You don't get to determine... How good or bad I am at this job or how faithful I'm being right now, that's ultimately God's job. Yes, we do have to be faithful. As he says in uh, verse 2, we should be found faithful to be good stewards of the mysteries of God. And if we're not, then yes, that needs to be dealt with. But Paul is saying here, I haven't done anything for you to accuse me or for you to divide against me. Uh, and I don't understand why you are. So he says in verse six, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Here's the real takeaway here. Paul says you want to heal the division here, um, you need to heal the division here. How about going back to what's actually written in the scriptures? Unite over what is found in the word of God. That's your unity. And indeed, that is our unity as well. It's not over personality. It's not over socioeconomic status. It's not over cultural background or any of the other things that people try and form cliques around. No, that's that's temporal, and that is easily breakable. But when the fellowship is found upon the word of God, given and inspired by the Holy Spirit and received by us, simply received, well, then we're not we're not able to boast in anything we've done. We're able to simply boast in everything that God has done by giving us his word that reveals the forgiveness of sins found in Jesus Christ. And now Paul is going to get, well, a little sarcastic. Uh, a little little spicy when he addresses the problems in the church because he's going to say in verse 8, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, let's just pause there for a second. Uh, Essentially, what we can get a, what we're sort of being hinted towards here, without knowing the full context or knowing exactly what Paul's addressing, it seems that part of what is being used as an indictment against the apostles and against uh, Paul and Apollos and whatever uh, in the Corinthian church is that the Corinthian church tends to have quite a few people that are wealthy. The Corinthian church tends to have people that are well-dressed and maybe even powerful. All those things are alluded to here, you know, when Paul says, you have become kings. Um, And it seems that that is being used as an evidence for God's favor upon them more so than the apostles. So if I can give the argument, which which you can find this in the modern-day church, especially in America today, but not just America, it goes something like this. If Paul was really being guided by God. Don't you think Paul would be driving a nicer car than that geo storm? Don't you think that if Apollos was really being guided by the Lord, he'd have a nicer suit than that, you know, crumpled up thrift store piece of junk that he's wearing? I mean, isn't it clear that if God's really with somebody, they're going to have success. They're going to have wealth. They're going to have uh, quality of life. This is what Paul is addressing. Paul says, oh, I know, I know, you've become wealthy. And oh, yes, I know, that must mean you're blessed. But listen, look at my life. We are, I realize we seem like the scum of the world, but we are indeed God's stewards of his mysteries. We are indeed empowered to preach his word just because we don't look that impressive, maybe not even sound that impressive, doesn't mean that God isn't working through us. Again, all we're doing is proclaiming to you the word. Why are you focused on all these other things? He continues, verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children you see that? Do you see how Paul, on the one hand, like he gets sarcastic and he gets tough and he gets kind of harsh on them. And yet at the same time, what does he call them right here? I, you're my kids. Like, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm struggling with how to deal with you because I still love you as my children, but you're treating me terribly. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, this is strange to our ears, right? I mean, we're we're so prone to hearing pastors, you know, wanting, or at least uh, this is certainly typical for me. Uh, the first thing I want to do to uh, want to tell people is I'm not perfect. Um, I, I'm prone to saying like, "Don't imitate me," because I know of my own insufficiencies, my own sins, and my own problems. I mean. But there is a sense in which pastors should be able to say this, especially even to that end, to be people that do acknowledge their imperfections, people that do acknowledge their sin, people that are vulnerable and transparent with you and are constantly acknowledging their need for Christ. And there is a sense here in which Paul is saying, be imitators of me in in, in all the things I listed above, like being willing to bless those who slander us and being willing to, um, you know, become even the scum of the world, the refuse of all things, if that leads to me being able to preach the gospel to more people. I'd rather you be like me that way than, you know, flaunting your wealth or flaunting your haughtiness in the world. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. This is the crowd he's addressing. He's addressing people in the church that are stirring up the vision. They're, they're arrogant, they think they know more than they do, they think they're in charge more than they are. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now you say, well, doesn't the kingdom, I mean, you just talked about not going beyond what's written. Isn't that talking? Well, I think the way talk is to be understood here is Paul saying it cheap talk. It's, you know, boastful talk. Sure, you can talk a good game, but let's see if you can walk it out, is sort of what Paul is saying to these people that would put themselves above his ministry or or his authority. And then he closes out the chapter with this question. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? And you know Paul's heart is indeed to come with a spirit of gentleness. And I would just say, uh, the the pastor should uh, ultimately want to want the same thing. Uh, I think if a pastor is prone to uh, always bringing out the rod, so to speak, and you know they're preaching with <laughs> great anger all the time at their people, I, I don't think that captures the heart of what pastors should be like. I think we, we see examples in Scripture of how we are to address one another and and we're told in the book of galatians that when somebody errs or somebody sins that uh, we should restore them gently so paul i mean he realizes yes there's sometimes times where he needs to bring the rod in that same letter to the galatians he kind of brings the rod up to peter because peter was being a hypocrite yeah that, there's times for that and there will be times like that in this letter where he's pretty tough but what's the desire? I, I don't want to be tough. I want to be gentle with you. Why? Because Jesus is so gentle with us. Jesus never stops being gentle with us. Whatever sins you bring to the altar, whatever sins you bring in confession to your Lord each and every day, he does not slap you with the rod but promises day after day after day to gently restore you, to declare to you that you are forgiven on account of his work on the cross for you. So as he is gentle, Paul seeks to be gentle too in order to confront the division that is being wrought in the Corinthian church. And so I'll just say in closing here, I I do see and I have seen for quite some time, but it happens, I think, every four years, but maybe even more amplified uh, this time around. It is far too common this time of year for Christians to uh, divide over all sorts of issues. And I would just say in a spirit of gentleness, now is not the time for us to divide. Now is the time for us to come together over what the Word of God teaches and not to divide over lesser issues if the church can stay united and get past its uh, partisan tendencies whatever partisan tendency you may have it it really can be a witness to the world it really can be a witness to the world i mean as the world is uh, outside tearing itself apart with division man what if, what if we can worship genuinely and joyfully with people that we might disagree with about a whole host of issues, but the one thing that unites us, the most important thing, is that I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and Jesus is our Savior. Hallelujah, done, amen. If we can do that, if we can if we can find that unity and not divide over lesser things, I think God's Spirit's going to use it in dramatic and powerful ways to speak to the world around us. So that's uh, maybe my mini-exhortation here today, but uh, I hope this blesses you. I hope you have a wonderful Friday and a good weekend, and of course you can join